0: Good morning, church. Today's Bible reading will be taken from Job 38, verse 1 to 40, 40, verse 2. Sorry. All right, and it reads as this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkened counsel by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will ask you, I will question you and you'll make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched its line, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars and sung together with all the men, with all the sons of God, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut the sea with doors, and when it burst out from the womb, when he, when I made the clouds its garments, and thick darkness its swaddling bands, and determined for it, and set its bars and doors, and thus, and thus, and, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, it is, that it might take hold of the skirts of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed, and the wicked, yeah, sorry. Um, it is changed like clay under under the seal, and its features stand out like garments. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uphold arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the earth, or walked the recesses of the deep? Have you have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling place of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territories, and that you may discern the path to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouse of the snow or have you or have you seen the storehouse of hail which I have reserved for the time of trouble for the day of battle and war what is the way of the place where the light is distributed or where or where the earth, the east wind is scattered upon the earth where where has the cleft Where has cliff of channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolts to bring rain on the land where no man is? On the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, to make the ground sprout with grass, has the rain... Has the reign a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of the heavens? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the channels, the chains of palisades, or loosen the cords of Orion, or can you lead forth the Maseroth? In their seasons, or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish, uh, can you establish their rule on earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, "Here we are"? When has when who has put wisdom in the inward parts and given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? Can the dust run into a mess and the clods of stick of the clod stick fastened together? Can you hunt? the prey for the lion to satisfy the appetite of the young lion or when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thickens who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wonder about for lack of food do you know do you know when the mountain goats gives birth do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch bringing forth their offspring and they deliver of, and are delivered of the young. The young ones become strong and they grow up in the open. They go out and do not return Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosened the bounds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plains for his home and the salt lands for his dwelling? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He He ranges... The mountains as his posture and searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will you spend the night at your manger? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the pharaoh with rope or will he harrow, harrow the valley after you? Will he, will you depend on him because his strength is great? And will he, and will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return to your grain and gather it to your t- threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but they, but are, are they the pinion of pl- plumage of love for she leaves her eggs in the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground forgetting that a foot may crush them and that a wild beast may trample them she deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers though her labor is not in vain yet she has no fear Because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Do you give the horse his might? Do you close his neck with the mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He's poor in the valley and ex exult in his strength he goes out to meet the weapon and laughs at fear and is not dismayed he does not turn back from the sword upon him rattles the quiver the flashing sword and, and the javelin he's with fierceness and rage he swallows the ground he cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet when the trumpet sounds he says aha he says the battle is, he smells the battle from afar. The thunder of the captain and the shouting. It is by your understanding that the hawk soars and, the, and spreads his wing towards the south. It is at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high. On the rock he dwells and makes his home. On the rocky crag. Craig, and stronghold from there he spies out his prey his eyes behold it from far away his young ones suck up blood where the slain are there he is and the lord said to job shall the fault finder contend with the almighty he who argues with god let him answer it this is the word of the lord
1: Sam, thank you for that reading. Uh, it was long, and uh, we all feel your pain. The ESV is not easy to read out loud, so thank you for serving us in that way. Uh, let me just join uh, Reggie in inviting you to Celebration Sunday next week and encouraging you. I think you put it so well. For those of you who haven't been back, we do miss you, and we'd love to see you. Just a special um, word to the parents. The kids are going to be in with us for, for the whole service. So we're celebrating as a family together. Kids and teens are in with us. You do need to register them in the normal way and then we'll all be in here together. Won't you bow and I will pray. Perhaps, perhaps if we stand, just let's stand. Uh, give us an opportunity to stretch our legs and I'll just pray for us. Father, once again, we, uh, we come in total dependence on you. And we pray, Father, that you will bring us to yourself through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of your spirit. Amen. Thanks. Please take your seats. So I do think we need to get our bearings a little bit. Um, Job is 42 chapters. It's easy to, to lose the, the wood for the trees. Remember Job chapter 1 and 2, we were setting the scene. It was the heavenly perspective and the earthly perspective. Then in Job chapter 3, Job speaks. He speaks for the first time. 3 to 27 is basically an extended argument uh, between Job and his friends. Then we last week we looked at chapter 28, which is kind of an interlude. Uh, You remember when, uh, back in the day, the technology didn't serve us, and if you were watching a movie, you'd have to sometimes pause, and while they changed the reel... At least that's what I'm told. And, uh, and then you watch the second half. Well, that's sort of what 28 was all about, except it reflected very deeply on the meaning and purpose of Job. 29, Job ceases to address his friends. He turns to address the Lord. Uh, so what we've had so far, most of the book, Job and his friends wrestling, arguing, contending over the reason and purpose of his suffering. And now the climax. God himself finally speaks. He speaks from the storm. The last word belongs to God. His word is final. His word settles the matter. It did for Job and it should for us. In these final chapters, God is speaking to all those who, like Job, have demanded an answer to the question why. What does he say? The first thing he says loud and clear is... You don't know and you can't know. These chapters are an interrogation of the one who is proud enough to venture an answer or, like Job, to lay an accusation against God. So, so you're going to need to have your Bibles open. Please stay with me. Have a look. Chapter 38, verse 3. This is what he says. Dress for action like a man. In, in other words, prepare for war, Job. We're going to do battle. Dress for action like a man. I will question you. See, the roles are reversed. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. You think you know? You demand to know? Brace yourself, Job. Let's find out exactly what you do know. And then the questions beat down like wind and rain and lightning and thunder from the storm. Who is this? Verse 2. Where were you? Verse 3. Who determined its measurements, verse 5. Who shut in the sea, verse 8. Have you commanded the morning, verse 12. Have you entered, verse 16. Has it been revealed to you, verse 17. Have you comprehended, verse 18. Where is the way, verse 19. Do you know, can you establish, verse 33. And so it goes. Question after question after question. Each one a stinging reminder to Job of the limits of what he knows and what he can know. And each one a foretaste of the Apostle Paul who so many centuries later wrote the one who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. If you know anything you know that you know nothing. The answer to each question is I don't know but you do Lord. I don't know But you do, Lord. Who determined the measurements of the earth? Who shut in the sea? Who is father to the rain? Who binds the chains or loosens the cords of the stars? Job, did you have anything to do with any of this? No, I didn't. But you did, Lord. Job's infinite smallness is exposed by the Lord's infinite greatness. It is impossible for Job to know. It is impossible for God not to know. He knows. If that's all the Lord said, it would be enough. If all God did was remind Job that it is perfectly natural for him not to understand the complexities of this life, but he can trust the one who does... Wouldn't that be enough? When you were young and your parents took you for a walk, maybe it's around the mall, maybe it's around the neighborhood, maybe it's out in the hills somewhere, you had no idea where you were. No idea. Or how to get home. Or when the journey was going to end. But you were perfectly comfortable with the fact that they did. Why? Because you trusted them. You didn't even think about the fact that you didn't know. It didn't even occur to you that you didn't know where you were going or how you were going to get home. Because they did. That's what God is saying. Job, you are lost in the chaos and the confusion. You don't know where you are. You don't know how you're going to get home. You can't know. It is beyond you to know. But I do. And that's enough. I could end the sermon here. But God is so gracious that he gives us more than we need. Abundantly more than we need. The questions to Job are not just a rebuke. They are also an invitation to deeper understanding. God invites Job to know more. And so God invites us to know more. So that's the first thing. The first thing God says is framed as an endless series of questions that can be summed up as, do you not know that you don't know? But those questions also invite us. They invite us into everything else that God says to Job. And the second thing that he says is that he's made a good universe. Look at chapter 38, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? God laid the foundation of the earth, measured it out, stretched the line, sunk the bases, laid the cornerstone. He's the master builder. And what he built was beautiful and good to the core. Right down into the foundations. So much so that verse 7, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The heavenly hosts burst into spontaneous praise when God revealed all that he had made. And God himself said that it was very good and they shouted for joy. Do you see what this means, Job? It means that to its very core the universe that God created is good because it came from him. Because it came from him there is order rather than chaos. The heavens and the earth Night and day, land and sea, everything in its proper place relating to everything else in the proper way. It's this order, this rhythm, this patterning, one thing relating to another just as it should, that we call beauty. It finds its origin in God Himself. God is saying to Job, the goodness of creation is its deepest state. Its deepest state. Everything else is superficial on the surface. So whatever you are experiencing that is not good, that is not the essence of reality. It's not the way things are at the bottom. Things at the bottom in their essence are good and beautiful because God is good and beautiful. That is the basic structure of reality. Job needed to hear that because he would have been wondering, is evil and pain and suffering the way things really are? He could have been tempted to read the character of God. In fact, he constantly is for, what is it, 40 chapters 38 chapters, he's constantly tempted to read the character of God off of his circumstances. And he was tempted to curse God and die. His own wife suggested it to him. And if we're honest, at that point, we backstage nodding our heads. The French philosopher Charles Baudelaire looked at his own circumstances, at his world... And like Job's wife, he concluded, if there is a God, he is the devil. In which case, the only thing to do is to curse him and die. Job's wife looks at her husband, and she concludes that there must be something of the devil in God. His friends look at Job and conclude, well, there must be something of the devil in Job. God himself says, you just cannot read the truth off of the surface of your circumstances. You can't do it. Don't do it. There may be chaos and suffering, but it wasn't there in the beginning. And it doesn't reach all the way down. The basic structure of reality is order and goodness and beauty. The third thing God says is evil and chaos have a place. Evil and chaos have a place, but it is limited. Look at chapter 38, verse 8. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it. And set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no further. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. The thing that we can easily miss is that in the ancient Near East and in the Bible, the sea is a symbol of evil and chaos. Straight after God has said creation is good and orderly, he goes on to say that even so, the potential for evil and chaos was always there. The sea burst out of the womb of creation. The potential for evil and chaos was there from the beginning. That's a deeply scary thought. Thankfully, God doesn't leave it there. The sea burst forth as in childbirth. You can almost imagine the waters breaking. Chaos is born. What does God do next? He covers it with a swaddling band. Chaos and evil... like a baby in the arms of God Almighty. So you have to be clear on this, Job. There is no yin and yang. There is no arm wrestle between good and evil. God sets the limits. He bars the doors. He says to evil and chaos this far and no further. So Job, Job, Even people of integrity should expect to be touched by the forces of evil and chaos. But they need not fear that they will be completely overwhelmed to the point of cursing God and dying. There is a limit to evil and chaos, and that limit is God himself. The fourth thing God says... From the storm, is that evil will ultimately be destroyed. It will ultimately be destroyed. Have a look at verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld. And their uplifted arm is broken. The wicked will ultimately be defeated. Job, from your perspective, justice has been perverted. There is no justice. You may even question, in fact you do question, the justice of God himself. But every time I command the sun to rise, it is a reminder to you that justice will be done. Every time I command the sun to rise, it announces an end to darkness. And one day the sun will rise never to set again. One day there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. Creation began in pure, perfect goodness. It will end in pure, perfect goodness. For now, chaos serves the purposes of God within the limits which he has set. The fifth thing God says is, I even know the place of the dead. Look at verse 16. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Job, you may know suffering. You do know suffering. But you have not yet known death. There is no part of the human experience that God does not know. There is... No hidden corner of darkness and evil that he has not visited. There is nothing outside of his compass or his gaze. There is no place he hasn't been. He's even plumbed the depths of evil to the place of the dead. There is no sense in which evil or chaos can surprise him or ambush him or knock him off balance death itself is not beyond him. God has two more things to say. I use death for my own purposes. I use chaos and evil for my own purposes. In chapter 39, God uses the wild ox and the war horse to make these points. Like death... The wild ox is a dangerous creature over which the men of that day had absolutely no control. This was an an erratic, wild, deadly dangerous animal. Like evil, the war horse is the symbol of a hostile force bent on your destruction. Now these creatures in chapter 39, I believe, they point us forward to two mysterious creatures that we encounter in chapters 40 and 41. Behemoth and Leviathan. So we begin with Leviathan. He is terrifying. Turn with me. Job chapter 41 verse 9. Leviathan is terrifying. 41 verse 9. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of Leviathan. No one is so fierce that he dares dares to stir him up. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth is terror. He is terrifying and men are powerless to tame him. Chapter 41 verse 25. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. At the crashing, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, nor the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. He is terrifying and unstoppable. And yet this is no brute beast. I mean, we, we can make the mistake of thinking this is a killer whale, or a mammoth, or a giant crocodile, or something. But this creature has moral capacity. Look at 41 verse 24. His heart is hard as stone. Hard as the lower millstone. Verse 33. On earth there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. The Leviathan has the hardest of hearts and is the proudest of all creatures. It's no wonder that the rest of the Bible views him as the personification of evil and chaos. Job himself, chapter 3, verse 8, describes those who curse the day of his birth as those who are calling up the Leviathan. In other words, call up the Leviathan, the evil one, and let him take me away. The prophet Isaiah speaks of the day of judgment like this. On that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent. And he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. That's not a crocodile. The psalmist, Psalm 74, describes the enemy of God's people at the time of the Exodus as the sea monster and the leviathan. The enemy of God's people in the desert. The apostle John weaves all these threads of biblical imagery together when he writes in Revelation chapter 12 about that great dragon, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. The book of Job begins with Satan And it ends with Leviathan. He is a terrifying, powerful force for moral evil. But as Martin Luther said, he is God's Satan. The Bible has no concept of a rivalry between God and Satan. The biblical idea is of God using Satan for his purposes. Remember the idea behind all these questions that rain down on Job in these chapters. Remember the idea? So, look at 41 verse 1. Another, Yet another question. Can you, Job, can you draw out Leviathan with a fishhook? No, Lord, but you can. Can you put a rope in his nose? No, Lord, but you can. The picture in those first seven verses of chapter 41, read them when you get a chance, is of Leviathan in total submission to the Lord. He's almost the Lord's pet. The Lord plays with him like you might play with a bird. He puts him on a leash for little girls. Leviathan will be his servant forever. Psalm 104 describes the sea, remember that symbol of chaos? The sea is a playpen. It's a playpen that God has made for for Leviathan. Leviathan is evil personified. From our perspective, he is a terrifying force for moral chaos. But from God's perspective, he's a means to an end. The Lord will use evil for his purposes. For his good and pure and perfect purposes. And what is true of evil is also true of death. The Lord asks of behemoth. He asks Job of behemoth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? And By now we know the answer. No, Lord, but you can. The Lord uses evil and death for his own purposes. So there it is, seven words from the Lord for Job in his pain and his confusion. You don't know, and you can't know. At the very bottom, creation is good and beautiful. Evil has a place, but it is limited. Evil will one day be destroyed. I have plumbed the depths of evil. I've gone to the farthest reaches of evil. I know every hidden, dark corner. I even know the place of the dead. I will use death for my own purposes. And I will use evil for my own purposes. And those purposes are good. The Lord said all this to Job. And of course, he said even more to us. Because we don't know. But Jesus knows. When the Lord asks, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Only Jesus can respond. I was there. When the Lord asks, who shut in the sea? Jesus can answer, I did. It was Jesus who said to the proud waves of evil and chaos, this far and no further. When he cried out from that cross, it is finished. It's finished. Only Jesus has walked through the recesses of the deep and known the place of death and passed through the gates of death. He knows the place of the dead. That place that we fear more than anything. Jesus knows the fullness of what it is to be God. But he also knows the fullness of what it is to be a human being. We worship a God who knows our tortured experience from the inside out. He knows. He knows. As a grieving father once wrote, instead of explaining our suffering, God shares in it. Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares in it. Jesus knows and Jesus is the strange wisdom of God because in him the Father uses death and evil for his own purposes. to our eyes the cross looks like the final triumph of chaos. It can only look like the final triumph of chaos. Here is a righteous servant servant suffering a sinner's death. I mean that is the victory of chaos per definition. That absurdity has won when a righteous man is suffering a sinner's death. That's what it looks like. But in the strangeness of divine wisdom, that is not what it is. The cross is the final victory of God. It is the death blow, not to God, but to Satan. What did this mean for Job? And what does it mean for us? It means that as we face life in this chaotic world, we don't have every answer. But we do have everything we need to live in fear of the Lord. We spoke about this at length last week. In New Testament language, we have everything we need for life and for godliness. We have everything we need, every resource we need to keep going today, which is all we call to do. To keep trusting, repenting, obeying today, just for today, as long as it is called today. I want to sum it up in three words for us, what the Lord speaks to us or what we can take away from his word that comes to us from the storm. Correction, comfort, and courage. Correction, comfort, and courage. Isn't it just the correction we need to be reminded of the limits of what we can know? Otherwise, in the face of all this pain and confusion, we can be driven half mad in our search for answers. And we will constantly be tempted to read the character of God off of our circumstances. But if we hear the voice of the Lord from the storm this morning, then we can repent of our foolish demand to know. And we can turn to the one who does. To the one who doesn't give us answers, but gives us himself instead. And so we read his character not from our circumstances, but from the cross. Correction. Then there's comfort, deep comfort. Isn't it a comfort to know that you are right to be frustrated? That you are right to cry out in anguish? That the exhausted outrage you are feeling is not out of place? It's there because at the bottom of your soul, you are still hearing the whispers of the fundamental goodness of what God has made. And so we can see it clearly. We can see that so much of what is happening around us is wrong. It is profoundly wrong. It is not as it should be. No one should lose their job, their means of providing for their family, because of a disease that started in a fish market or a a wet food market in China. That should just not be. No nation, no people should suffer because of the greed of a handful of their leaders. No child should go to bed hungry because we can't figure out or we just don't have the will to move food from where there is abundant excess to where there is desperate need. That should just not be. But isn't it a comfort to know that these things are not the heart of what is. They are not the heart of what is. They are merely a temporary perversion, corruption, intrusion on what once was and what one one day will be again what a comfort to be able to speak all your sadness your your anguish your tormented why to speak it all to god in worship like job Because you know that Jesus felt the same way. Correction, comfort, and finally courage. The evil and the chaos in this world is terrifying. Let's not pretend. There are unspeakable horrors playing out all around us. What courage it gives us to know that there is someone to be feared even more than Satan. And that someone is good. And that someone loves us. My friends, if God is for you, and he is in Jesus Christ, then who can be against you? What courage it gives us to know that the evil in the world is boxed in. By God Almighty. It is on a leash. It's his pet, his plaything. It's a baby in his arms. It goes so far, but not a millimeter further. It trembles at the sound of his voice. What comfort it gives us to know that God puts a chain on evil. And that one day he will destroy it. Utterly, completely, entirely, never to return. What courage it gives us to know that until that day, He will use evil for His good and pure and perfect purposes. For our good, for our ultimate good, our ultimate happiness, our joy, eternal joy. And that's a comfort that is a deep comfort because one of the great tortures of suffering is this question, why? So much of our suffering just seems completely random and pointless and meaningless and arbitrary. And it's this lack of any meaning that torments us, that heaps pain upon our pain. God doesn't tell us why, but he does tell us where. He tells us where the pain will end. He has revealed the wisdom of his plan. Christ, the righteous, suffering servant, has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. the book of Job, and particularly the word of the Lord from the storm, gives new meaning to this promise that we cherish so dearly. Let me read it for us. And we know, we know, that for those who love God, all things, all things, and he catalogs catalogues them at the end of the chapter, and they are not pretty things. They are the things of evil and chaos. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, our ultimate goodness, our ultimate happiness, our ultimate joy. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. We are not told why. But we can trust the one who comes to us in our suffering and takes us by the hand and leads us into glory. In the midst of all the chaos... We can trust the wisdom of this God. Corrie Ten Boom was a young Dutch girl uh, who suffered all the arbitrary, meaningless, capricious, chaotic, empty pain of the German concentration camps. All that evil and chaos. And yet afterwards, this is just as a young lady, afterwards, because she knew the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because she knew the God who spoke to Job from the storm, she could offer us this profound encouragement, this incredible courage. Never, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So what do we draw from these monumental chapters, 38 through 41? It's like a mountain range in all its majestic, fearful wonder. What do we draw from it? Correction? Comfort and courage. God knows, God cares, God is working out His perfect plan. Let's pray to Him now. Our dear Heavenly Father, God of all wisdom, We repent of demanding to know. We hear this morning that we cannot know. We thank you for all you have shared with us to help us face the trials of this life. We thank you supremely for the Lord Jesus who is your wisdom in the flesh and who brings all your perfect plans to bless us to their fulfillment. Help us now by the power of your Spirit To go out into the chaos of this life, secure in the knowledge that in Christ you are working all things, even painful things, even death and evil itself, for our good and for your glory. Amen.